It's the Count! Ah, ah, ah. In honor of Renfield, it's a movie. What's your favorite on-screen portrayal of Dracula? Uh, I'm Katie Rich, and I'm really going to need you to count the Count from Sesame Street, because otherwise, I guess I have some Dracula movies to watch, because I got nothing. I am Matt Patches, and man, there's so many good Draculas, but of course I have to go with Luke Evans in Dracula Untold. Yes, it's part of the Dark Universe. I was just going to ask if there's a Dracula in the Dark Universe. Uh, It's up for debate (laughs) if Dracula Untold would have been part of the Dark Universe. Uh, Fierce debate online about this, I imagine. The fans know. (laughs) And I'm David the Seven, and I'm going to go with a slightly more classic, Christopher Lee, and if I had to pick one of his nine which I don't think I've seen all of, actually. Uh, I would pick Horror of Dracula, the first, because uh, Lee versus Peter Cushing is amazing. Thank you for redeeming Nine feels like a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell Dave picked the lighter on question? <laughs> uh, you guys could uh, pick any lighter on question you want if you get in before me. Shack. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then, well then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine then, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's It's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room. It's episode 424.92. That's right. It's pandemic 166. It is 166. 166? One sixty six. Yeah, that's how it'd be checked. Uh, it's the week of Thursday, April thirteenth. That's the day that in nineteen seventy, an oxygen tank on the Apollo thirteen aircraft exploded. And Jim Lovell said, uh, "Okay, Houston, we've had a problem here. I guess it's not Houston. We have a problem. Hollywood lying to us once again. Lying. We know they, Apollo they cleaned it up. We now own Apollo thirteen because I bought it off iTunes because uh, my child obsessed with space travel. Well, if you bought it off iTunes, to, um, you don't really own it. it as That's true, but I'm looking forward to watching. Like, we watched some of it, and unsurprisingly, a six year old didn't like immediately cotton on to it. But uh, I think we'll get to the end. Of it. Uh, I I did the a similar thing like a month ago after one evening going to bed. I just stumbled across like those like that movie clips channel and just watch like. 13 YouTube clips of Apollo 13 and the next day I'm like, I might as well watch the 16 minutes I haven't seen on clips. And so I went and I watched it all again. It's a great movie. Uh, yeah, I was about to say, I, I feel like I'm not going to be mad. Might be Ron Howard's uh, best movie? We don't have to litigate this right now, but that's next any other contenders? Maybe. Rush? Uh, did like Rush? Are you a Beautiful so Mind fan? Lot. I was just talking to someone about A Beautiful no, Mind and if I'm we think that that movie just mind. has Teenage nostalgia, or uh, I didn't know that anyone had nostalgia for <laughs> a beautiful mind. You don't remember being in high school seeing a beautiful mind? I do. Oh, I literally, I drove, I went, I saw it by myself because I, I was, was trying like, to trying to see the Oscar movies. Ex- I drove across state lines. <laughs> I was trying to explain something about uh, digital publishing today in terms of uh beautiful minds equilibrium explanation at the bar where all of the guys want to bang a oh, hot yeah. blonde uh-huh. but instead they uh-huh. decide if none of them go with the blonde then they can all get a different girl uh nothing problematic mm-hmm. about that uh nah. that example or me using it in a workplace setting <laughs> you know i've never seen the paper and i feel like i would really oh my like god it. you would I feel love like the I, paper. I, need, I got it i gotta get on that what Next is week, this, is this the part of the podcast where we just ramble about movie stuff? <laughs> Dave, do we have reviews? Yes, we do. We have two oh, new reviews. <laughs> if you if you go on the Apple Podcast app in the United States, you can leave us reviews that we will see, and that's where we like them because it draws listeners to us and gets us listed on oh, more charts true. and things. That goes for every country that the Apple Podcast app is in. Uh, we're just localized here in the U.S. Uh, so if you want to internationally review us and then take a screenshot of that review or send a copy of it to fitwr.podcast at gmail.com that is also great uh but we have two on the app today nice. so here we go this first one comes from eddie 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 and it's five stars the cartoon network show and it says uh yeah, maybe i there's not what? any and so oh, okay. it's just okay. this, this person could just be triple named and it's called uh, review disincentive I actually really enjoy the mindless phone game talk the hosts threaten the listeners with when they have no new reviews. So I'm writing a review despite the unintended disincentive because 
I too enjoyed the new D&D movie, and like Katie, I've never played the game before, although I did get the gelatinous cube reference. Any recommendations on how to get into Dungeons and Dragons, especially if you don't have three to four fellow nerd friends to play with? I'm in Denver, if Dave knows of any local communities, but online works great too. Thanks, Eddie. Okay, single Eddie when he signed it. They signed it. How to so, get I'm guessing into just a single D&D. Eddie. Dave, this is what do a, you think? The, the existential I have, thing I don't, I don't know how to do. I, I think I have recommendations at this point. We cover a lot of Dungeons and Dragons and tabletop stuff at Polygon, and I am not someone... I've played D&D, but I've never been in like a recurring group. I know people are now, but I think the way to do it is either to become the GM, the DM yourself, and like learn... And there's great resources. We have one on Polygon too about how to play. Um, I would watch actual play YouTube videos to like get in the mindset and get the spirit. Katie, do you watch a lot of uh, Critical Role? Yes. Okay, thank you. Totally, and, um, absolutely. You know, like watch people play the game along with learning it. But there's definitely group boards, and you could find someone who's playing a game if you don't mind entering a space with no one you know in it. That's always tough, I think, with D&D. Like, you kind of need to convince friends to go all in on it. So if you are really starting it, I think you have to become the DM. Dave, what do you think? Do you have to own it to really start your own Dungeons & Dragons uh, crusade, I if you think will? I would say, uh, judging just in the general uh, getting into D&D that you're talking about, yes, that is the most... I think the easiest way to go about it is to have like maybe one or two friends that maybe aren't into like role playing and then figure out a game that you could be the dungeon master or game master of and start that way. Um, we usually do in October, my group of friends do a one shot, which means one night, one game, one full story. You don't have to keep it going over weekends. Uh, and usually those are not necessarily Dungeons and Dragons, but they're other role-playing games. And uh, we could lure newbies in with that. And if they like it, maybe they want to play some more D&D. If you are in the Denver area, here are three things I would recommend uh, that I've heard people had s- success with. One is, of course, there is a subreddit. Uh, it's called Denver Gamers, uh, where they uh, get together tabletop groups or post events or like, let's say, a big event is happening where a lot of people are going to be learning D&D for the first time and you're an experienced DM that could put out a call and maybe you could have like a tiny gig over the weekend. The other uh, is meetup.com, which I was initially hesitant about, but I've seen a lot of success specifically in the Denver community. So uh, for meetup.com, there's a whole group called uh, Denver Dungeons and Dragons Newbie Sessions, uh, and they're constantly adding new events. There's two this week uh while we're recording this right now they have two uh newbie games going on in denver well they, but they keep it going pretty regularly and then on south broadway in denver uh there is a store oh, is very where you could buy or you could buy costuming and tabletop game supplies it's called the wizard's chest the wizard's chest also has weekly dungeons and dragons events uh, but they are not drop-in events, so make sure to Sounds go like to thewizardschest.com. Well, if you want to <laughs> do a continuing thing with people that uh, you get to do character growth and all of that, the Wizard's Chest, I think, is more for that, because once you have signed up with the uh, DM, they will make sure to integrate you uh, into the game. I miss uh, my as soon local as they gaming store so much. Uh... As a as a nerd, uh, I miss that. Did you mention D twenty? Uh, I think there's a site called. Oh D20. no, that's to play online. But D twenty, I have used, and it's pretty. Yeah, good. and D twenty would allow you to like play online, and the character sheets are easy, and you can do it with people you are close to and who you may not live close to. I think that would be actually a good way to. It start, does the math for you if so you just automated. click your attack. Yeah, it's... if you want to, I think the only way you can really learn is to learn by playing. So that might be a good option too for amateurs. Uh, like Katie. Katie, instead of taking your son to mo- rate in our movies, you should be playing Dungeons and Dragons with him. Do you think... How old do you have to be to start Dungeons and Dragons? I don't think you have to be very old because you can pl- make your own game that is kid-friendly. Okay. okay. You'll add a character sheet on the weekend. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I've seen... I need one of you guys to come here, honestly. Like, I got... We, we got a 
a long way to go before we can get to the top <laughs> of this mountain. Fair enough. Uh, we have another review. This one's from charcoal.meg, and it is five stars, and it's titled Great Culture Hangout Podcast. Meg writes, I came to this podcast several years ago via blank check and have enjoyed it since. The hosts have great rapport, and each brings a different sensibility and perspective to the show. Their insight and banter makes the show enjoyable, even when I'm not otherwise interested in the film or genre they're discussing. Because the four hosts represent such different viewpoints, the obvious step for a longtime listener is to try to astrologize which hosts to identify with. It was therefore a great concern that I recognize myself in David's description of his recent experience swimming laps and thinking about Don <laughs> Draper each time he enters the pool, <laughs> along with his bemusement at the berry intake of toddlers. Any advice, nevertheless, living my best, most meaningful life as a David would be very much appreciated. Just yeah, keep, keep going. Watch way too many movies. Uh, don't sleep. Play very hard video games. Pumpkin ice cream that's, or something. That's mm -hmm. yeah. And I really have been thinking about swimming laps ever since last week. Really, it does uh, seem nice. I know. I'm so my exercise is so based on like distraction that I like. I don't know what would happen to me if I was trying to swim laps, but I feel like it could be good. Deep in thought, you just transcend accidentally. Siddhartha, like <laughs> that's great, and drown. I like transcend so much. Like, <laughs> I'm swimming. I'm just. It'd be great. You'd be at absolute peace. <laughs> uh, all right, those are our reviews for this week. Uh, again, if you, you could leave the reviews on the Apple Podcasts app, uh, you could also email us at fitwr.podcast@gmail.com. On with the show. Uh, you might have heard that today we have a streaming service called Max. Is it HBO Max? No, it's something completely different, except <laughs> I think it's the same. Honestly, well, no, like, HBO Max is purple and this will this app will be blue. And it's got like a, a, a the A looks like an I would. But that's also what CBS is. So I don't really uh, I, I don't really know what we got it? here. The one to watch HBO will HBO will still exist as a like my best Channel? sense of it. Okay. And you and you yeah, it's like <laughs> when you open Disney and you got the Pixar, the Marvel, the Nat Geo, the Star Wars boxes like you'll get an HBO. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Discovery, uh, Chip and Joanna Gaines. I don't know. I don't know what else is going to happen in there. Um, That's a big part of it. Definitely a big part of it. There, uh, the Gaineses are doing a hotel renovation series, which is complete genius because they, they can get a show out of it. And then people will stay so in that hotel rich. when they make pilgrimages. They're insanely rich. And they're making a hotel. People travel to Waco, Texas to go yeah. to their store. They, they own Waco, Texas. Waco, Texas yeah. is a Magnolia Network It's property. no longer famous for being the site of an armed standoff. It's the site of sorry, a Sorry, Waco Aftermath or whatever fuck Michael Shannon is in this week. Uh, <laughs> Magnolia, Chip and Joanna Gaines own your ass. They sure do. Um, there's a lot going on. The HBO Max branding thing is confusing to me, but like like so many of the branding things, I think we freak out about. Like eventually, it's like, ah, oh, who cares? But like the glut of streaming services is not really changed by this one way or another. I am personally fascinated by the Harry Potter TV show, and we can get into that. But you guys tell me if there's something else more interesting that uh, has grabbed you here. Well, I mean, on a macro oh. level, before we talk about the yeah. specifics of what they intend to do, you know, the reason we're talking about this is because Warner Brothers had Warner Brothers Discovery. Let me use the proper company conglomerate name here. Oh, yes, Had of a course. big presentation to unveil Max and tell investors, like, everything will be okay. HBO Max didn't work. That was, like, three years ago. But now we have Max, and everything's going to be totally different. We're going to consolidate. And, I mean, one thing they flagged at the presentation I thought was interesting is the first thing they came out of the gate with, really, was talking about kids' content. They, they were like, people used to watch Scooby-Doo, but now no one watches Scooby-Doo. Because HBO Max <laughs> somehow did not put Scooby-Doo in front of the people who wanted to see Scooby-Doo. And, like, there was a lot of, there was a big Scooby-Doo poster on the stage at this presentation, which I, I found fascinating. Oh, was it really? Yeah, and then lots of the, the, the first thing they're talking about is kids' content, kids' content, kids' content. And it is not, not talked about, but it is at the core of the streaming wars. Like, everybody better, better get their kids' content, because that's most people watching stuff like Netflix is afloat because of Coca Melon. 
Disney Plus exists because we're watching Bluey, not because of The Mandalorian. And Warner Brothers better get fucking their talking cars show with a Batmobile up in kids' joints right now. Like, nothing else really matters. And I thought it was amazing for them to put that first up front in the, like, when Max, when you get Max, it'll be very obvious where the kids' stuff is. Um, So that, I, I just find their whole, like, macro strategy of, wow, there is too much content. That was their whole line. Like, there's mm, too much, mm-hmm. it's too confusing, and somehow Max will solve this by becoming blue, the same color as Disney+, Plus, Paramount+, Plus, Amazon mm-hmm. Prime Video, like, all the apps are fucking blue. Why are you becoming blue? It's gonna be tough to tell what apps I'm using. Um, that's Maybe that's a me thing. But I don't really understand... <laughs> Like they, they, they seem to know all the problems and they seem to know the problems that all culture faces right now, that there's just too, too much, much and no one can watch. figure out where to watch stuff. And we, I, I'm sure you feel this way, Katie, too. Like it's tough to even talk about the big things that seem important to people because like the things that seem like they'd be huge often are not because people don't watch them and, and things that are for us, at least at, over a podcast, especially like things that are small end up becoming bigger because like, at least that has a niche audience that will show up and find it. Um, but I, I do think there's a huge congestion issue, but I'm not sold that max is the the solution here. I, I wasn't presented with any like clear path of like, why are, are they going to have like one show a month? That would make it very easy to tell what's going on. And I guess HBO on... kind of does like HBO, HBO does. has kind of mastered that method of being like, here's the thing you're going to pay attention to right now. Uh, but it seems <laughs> like the HBO aspect of this is uh, what they're less interested in. Well, may- maybe it's that this is what's tough to tell, because when we'll get to this, like the big marquee shows that they're talking about that are going to, again, kind of like reboot all of their IP. They're everything that's under the Warner Brothers umbrella right now. DC Studios, Game of Thrones, Harry Potter. We're all, everything is getting a reboot. Everything is just like, we're going to do it again. Um, that seems also exhausting. And maybe we'll talk about this in a second. But uh, I, I, I'm fascinated that maybe they will just have like one big tent. Maybe we're moving into a movie model for a lot of these streaming things. Like the Magnolia Network and all the like reality shit will keep the wheels greased and you really don't need a lot of big shows. You need to think about, I was just mm-hmm. talking to someone about like, why is the last of us not coming back in 2024? Why the fuck is it going to take an entire year to make a last of us season two? And why would it come out in 2025? And I told this person because like the same reason house of dragon won't be back this year. It was here last year. It'll be here in two years. It'll be in 2024. It's on a movie schedule. Now, you, why would you mm-hmm. put out all of these shows every year? You're wasting the traction that they could get. You should only put out one big show a year. Maybe that is the, the thing that they're chasing here because all the, they were talking about the Batman spinoff, the Penguin. Like, who gives a fuck? But if it's the only thing on, maybe we will watch it. Maybe that's good. I mean, they did <laughs> they did rush the White Lotus to turn it around, so they are capable of it. And HBO, like or, uh, many like Emmy nerd ass people like me, think they could get four best drama series nominations. So maybe even HBO is uh is susceptible to glut like everybody else. Well, we're going to see, because guess what's going to happen later this year, I'm guessing? Another writer's strike. So That's happening in like two TV weeks. Forever. That's really soon. That's May. Uh-huh. Reality forever, baby. <laughs> I've, I've heard that this one might not last as long, but that might be wishful thinking. Oh, no, I mean, it definitely seems like it won't, but also the way the series are sort of produced and run now, either with that long lead time and with the shorter season runs... Like, they could finish the Penguin and just sit on it until they need to do the Penguin. The sort of release strategy you're talking about, about having one big thing, is going to become a lot more beneficial if we get squeezed by a strike uh, in these next couple of weeks. Uh, Because everyone's going to have to hold on to some things. It's Pandemic 2.0 with a writer's strike. Dave, I have a question for you before we get to Harry Potter. Yeah. Uh, What's the deal with this Game of Thrones thing? Should that be any good? another... uh, So... You know how George R. R. Martin is writing this series of novels uh, heard that of it? he already did a whole TV show about? Uh-huh, heard of those. But he's not done with the novels? Yep. Uh, so when he uh, started working on this book that he's been working on, uh, the entire run of the television show based on that series, he would frequently stop and do other series that took place in that world. Uh, one of them was a, a book about uh, the history of the Targaryens that became House of the Dragon. 
heard of it. And uh, these are these are actually pre-existing ones. They uh, are about Duncan Egg. They are. Oh, this is Duncan Egg. I remember hearing about Duncan Egg. Uh, yeah, uh, two knights who wander around uh, uh, Westeros at a key time. They can, you know, meet some families we know and hear some legends we know about and have have some adventures. Uh, the interesting thing is, I think. And it's been a while since I've looked at the George R. R. Martin uh, library, but I think this one is also supposed to be several books of which he got like a few into and then ran out of time. So uh, this seems right on par for what George R. R. Martin is contributing to the Game of Thrones universe, which is they still need to base it on something that he wrote. They can't go off and do, uh, you know, the, the, the spinoff about the early Starks. Is this and, because of a uh, they, of a um, contract thing, or just like people want, don't want it? I think they feel uh, indebted seems... to him to world build. He's so involved with House of the Dragon, and he's show running this new series by the the press release account. Uh, by the way, this show is called A Knight of the Seven Kingdoms: Colon The Hedge Knight. What would you prefer? God's Dunk name is and that? Egg as a TV show name? Game of Thrones, because Dunk I feel like this is an yeah, improvement. Duncan Egg. Is... You think a not Knight of Duncan, the Seven Kingdoms not like ben the Affleck. is better? Oh, I don't know, man. All these titles are such bullshit. The Lord of the Rings colon Rings of Power. Was that a good idea? I mean, putting Lord of the Rings in it, did. I guess, is an okay start. They That's put Game of is. Thrones in it. Oh, no, I guess they did Well, speaking about HBO and Max crossover, what do we think about True Detective getting a subtitle with True Detective Night Country? You know, I watched Bring that pre- that trailer. It looks pretty good. Yeah, Barry Jenkins yeah. producing. I mean, Jody is uh, old is old Nick Pizzolatto involved in this? And like, other than like, he probably gets money for the name. Yeah, like I don't think so, right? I think, yeah, but like I he's not involved in creatively. So like, not at a Jody Foster like steely cop, Alaska. I don't. Yeah, sure, no, it looks this is, good. This is gonna be good. Yeah, very excited. So I was excited about that, and I was also excited about uh, Secrets of the Mogwai. I was just gonna ask cute. about Secrets of the Mogwai. <laughs> I've been looking forward to Secrets of the Mogwai for a long time. Oh, okay, I know it's been okay. one of the smart things. In development for like an yeah, eon. One of the, yeah, one of the smart things. I mean, I, it must be all done. Uh, because I think it was like five years ago that it was initially announced as being in development. But uh, I have been waiting for something Gremlins to come along and remind everybody that Grogu's just a hairless Mogwai. And like, there's a reason <laughs> we knew that was going to look cute to everybody. It's because Gizmo is cute. Bring me more Gizmo. Uh, I'm 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 into it. Uh, but yeah, that brings us probably to the big news that is uh, ridiculous, which is the Harry Potter reboot series that oh, they oh, want to dedicate ten years to. Yes, the uh, rebooting. Who, Harry it, who, who? Wait, no. There's only seven books. How's it ten years? I thought it was a. Oh, I year. think it's a ten year. They won't commitment. air. They're not going to air every single seven. Right. Years. It's not going to be ten seasons. It'll be 10 sure. years. Seven of years of constant production and then 10 years of airing. That would be horrible. I have so I, many questions on that. Are they going to traumatize another group of children? Yes. Okay. Hold on. There's just so much to Harry Potter that I don't even think we need to like roll out here. Um, built in that makes people's heads spin every time Harry Potter is mentioned and J.K. Rowling and all that stuff. Let's just talk about the fact that they want to make a show with an ostensibly 12-year-old cast. And not oh, I only see. Like cast 12-year-olds and make them be on it for a decade. This is not yeah. hiring Daniel Radcliffe in the year 2000 and, and just going off to the middle of the English countryside and making some Harry Potter movies. This is like in the thick of social media now. It's all built, it's all clustered around. You're remaking Harry Potter. You're doing it in the streaming zone. Social media is alive and outraged. And you're going to put a 12-year-old into the thick of it from the very beginning and ride this out for 10 years? Is that insane? Katie, I'm with you. Not, Save mm-hmm, the child's No, fuck this. Don't do it. Do it animated. A handful. This is A handful cruelty. of 12-year-olds. Uh, I mean, Hogwarts, like, if you're going to do a full season for every book, and especially the first couple of books, you're going to get every single character in that because there's not enough going on mm-hmm. to sustain a season television. So many 12-year-olds and uh, 13, 14-year-olds, and we count the Weasley brothers. Um, I mean, if you... All right, so how long has J.K. Rowling been a turf uh, <laughs> loudmouth? Uh, like five, six years? I'm just trying to like go back in time to whenever it is that like the last <laughs> Harry Potter series ends and we have like only positive feelings about J.K. Rowling in specific. 
if you had heard about this idea, would you have just been like, yeah, great, do it? Because I think I no. would have. Really? I don't think so. Because I think there's a lot more to the wizarding world. I mean, the fans yeah, of all clamoring... those crimes of Grindelwald that we haven't solved. No, I mean, haven't people been asking for the like Marauders show since the movies ended? Like, yes, there's an obvious pathways to not do the to not just doing the same Potter story over again. again. Now, Fantastic sure. Beasts is a sign that maybe you should not go. <laughs> maybe off there's not the... as much there to as you get think. George R. R. Martin on this show and get him to write a Harry <laughs> Potter book because we need source material here. But, um... Voldemort was the child of incest? Oh, God, okay. Oh, okay. Uh, um, I don't... I just don't... I don't know why we... I, I do... I'm not in the camp that's like, it's too soon to reboot Harry Potter. Like, No, it's not too you can, soon, you unfortunately. Can you can do it again, and you can have some breathing room and do it as a TV show that's a little, like... Gets a little Riverdale as it gets older. I was just going to say Riverdale. Like, like, they Potter, but they, they all turn into frogs halfway through or something. Um, but I just don't see it as like, it, it seems, un, it does seem uninspired, but it all, and there's just a lot more to the world that you could do. But maybe the Fantastic Beasts uh, experiment failed so miserably that no one can take that risk remote anymore. It really was a miserable failure. I mean, are uh, we getting the number four we... movie? Are we getting? Uh, I don't think so. Happened. I don't think we know. They they have not hired a showrunner yet, so I don't think we really know what this is. And to answer, I guess, like Katie's question, I might have been okay with this previously because right after the Harry Potter movies were done, the question I had about J.K. Rowling's world wasn't so much like. Is she a turf yet? Because that had yet to pop off. But <laughs> I was like, no reason to ask at that why, point. Why do you keep coming up with different ways to tell us things that you should have had in the book? So like you know, oh, everything from Dumbledore is gay to like wizard shit, and then make it disappear until they invent bathrooms just for decorum. Like there's varying degrees. All this world building she did after the books. This would be a great way to include it. It would also mm-hmm. be if she wasn't involved yeah. as an EP or if she ends up being involved sort of in name only, this would be a great way to go back and redo her narratives, which are, you know, finer narratives, but redo all the details that people have had problems with in the past. Like, don't make the goblins Jewish people, uh, sort of <laughs> like, you know, we could do a, corre- a corrective Jesus. pass on Harry Potter, potentially. But because she's installed this EP and because that's such a st- strong part of this message, yeah. I'm not encouraged that that's actually what's happening. The messaging is so much like this is a even more faithful adaptation of the books than what you remember. And like I haven't read the books in a while, but I think there are plenty of parts of the book that were very rightly adjusted and cut for uh, cinematic storytelling. Yeah, do you think that I, I don't missing? see it. I don't, I don't know. I just remember at the time of the movies coming out, people were like, you're not going to get Hermione's stew organization in the movies. I mean, I always liked the books better than the movies because, like, they were more immersive in that way. But that doesn't mean I want to see a more immersive film version. I just want to read the book again. Like, book, it just works differently. Right. And you can also go to fucking Universal Studios if you want a more immersive version of any of this. Well, that hasn't been helping Star Wars, but, yeah. It it will be interesting to see what the reaction is. I'm just... This is not something I need. And up until a few years ago, when the author decided to open her mouth with uh, different opinions, I used to like read them every year and be into it and have wands. And like, I would be totally into mm. this if it was allowed to be an actual like reckoning of what this myth means to us now. I think we can forget that Harry Potter is tremendously popular. I mean, they just put out a yeah. video game that made like $800 million. And a lot of people played it, and kids are always dressed up as Harry Potter in my neighborhood uh, every year. And they actually saw the Fantastic Beasts movies because someone was dressed as Newt Scamander this year. I was like, "What the fuck? Who are you out of here?" I asked him, "I'm like, who who are you dressed? Newt Scamander, of course." I'm like, "What? Get away! Here, take all the uh, like almond joys. You earned them. You cursed child. You're the cursed child." I I feel more separate the art from the artist about Harry Potter than you do, Dave, and I feel fine disagreeing about that. Um, but I have debated like introducing Harry Potter stuff to my kids and whether or not they will care about it. And like obviously this is an effort toward exactly me who was in high school 
when the first Harry Potter movie came out, and I guess the books too, maybe a little bit earlier. Um, it's a total generational handoff for that. Um, yeah. And it'll probably this work. Is a Star Wars prequels moment, right? This is like, yeah. this is not your, my six, millennial six, six parents. <laughs> well, well, yeah, but it, that's how th- everything works now, right? Well, arguably, like the Star Wars sequel trilogy was the same story uh, until it sure. really wasn't. Um, but this is the handoff. This is like my millennial parents got their Harry Potter. This is re- we're old. Mm-hmm. We are fucking old. That's how you we're fucking like, old. We need to reckon with this. Um, but it's going to be interesting. I mean, there's no denying I will watch it with my child probably because they'll ask me to it'll be interesting mm-hmm. i'll watch it who cares i watch everything do your kids oh. does your does your oldest kid know who harry potter is or about any of this she does she got an illustrated harry potter from her grandparents uh. so we, we had to cross that that bridge but she i mean i have i've, I've like tried reading harry potter with charlie and i like haven't really gotten anywhere was it hasn't into caught his imagination She's oh man really into orphan. fucking rules like i've seen uh, her yeah, on the Roald... playground playing like magic <laughs> orphan ah uh, yes so, i'm so glad Roald doll doesn't have any problems as an author who we need to uh, deal with in, including in his works I say, the potter books oh everything <laughs> I mean... to doll i've been listening my daughter also has a ton of the other doll audiobooks and stuff Man, this is just possible. Does the orphan phase come before or after the I'm a secret princess phase? Because mm. it seems like they're linked in my mind. Interesting. We got orphan like the, before. The fantasy... I, <laughs> I mean, maybe the fantasy goes across genders, but the idea that, like, I'm going to be plucked out of my normal life and become a... The Harry Potter fantasy, court or whatever. The, yeah, the Harry yeah. Potter fantasy. Here's the final yeah. question. Secret chosen one. Does this show actually happen? Do you believe that Max is a sustaining business based on this presentation? and? When they can just say, we're going to make a Harry Potter show uh, over 10 years. Do you think it will happen? It doesn't have to happen because it is Harry Potter. And no, as you uh, on this podcast a few weeks ago, Dave said, no IP can die. Like it will, something will happen. We may have called this even weeks ago, but will it happen? Like, can we imagine a bunch of 12 year olds showing up for 10 years and making this show in what we know to be this kind of swirl of controversy and just, just fuming outrage online? Yeah, they'll definitely start it <laughs> once. Once there's, once Twitter is gone, when Twitter dies, it's gonna be a lot harder to find all this outrage. So they can just pretend it doesn't exist. Whoa, that's well. I mean, cool. like they've been through this with the video game. They've been through this with Fantastic Beasts. We know they'll just push through this. Like, but that being said, you are hiring twelve-year-olds. You are assigning them to contracts that are, I assume are going to involve some payouts if you're smart. Uh, if they don't do it. Because you're they're, you're basically signing away a decade of your life. Like the, they didn't even make Chris Evans necessarily do that for to play Captain America. He just ended up doing it. So I I do think we get like, uh, you know, like a Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power sort of thing. Like we will have two seasons, even if it loses a billion dollars. We will have two seasons. I hope of we have show. just two seasons uh, of the show, and it's like the first book and then the last book. <laughs> and you don't understand what happened in between. They love time jumps out. in television. Yeah, what if this is so faithful that it's more? It's like condensed. It's like the first four <laughs> books in one season, and then they just wrap it up. That'd be great. <laughs> Everyone thinks it's going to go long, but really, it's going to just be really short. It really goes short, and then it ends it with takes the cursed child with actors. Ooh. Yeah, it just takes ten years. But, well, Max, it's coming uh, in May. This is happening soon. Not the Harry yeah. Potter show, but Max we'll is relaunching on May 23rd. The one person who saw the Super Mario Brother movie, but I also don't have kids. Yeah, the only one so what's kids. this review for? <laughs> I think Let you're tell I you. think you're still this allowed review? to see the Mario movie if you don't have kids. Yeah, you're oh, just yeah. in a database but now I... in the government. <laughs> the problem with my review of Super Mario as I've run it by my parents with kids is I'm like, oh my god, this movie's so hollow except for its references to like the pop culture that surrounds Super Mario. Who cares if Luigi dies? Certainly not me. Certainly not this version of Luigi. Like, I myself have killed Mario 
probably thousands of times in my lifetime. Uh, so like this movie that just goes from incident to incident from Smash Brothers scene to Mario Kart scene, uh, starting, of course, in Brooklyn with a Mario Brothers level one one side scrolling construction pit. It's just it's it's full of Easter eggs. And I'm like, this is a movie that is very hollow for me, but is has so many nostalgia hooks in it. I would go like maybe five seconds worrying that the movie wasn't doing anything before I was delighted by <laughs> a very crisp, bright 3D rendering of something that I recognized. And I was talking to my friend Ty about this, and Ty has a six-year-old, and he took her to go see it, and they loved it, and he's like, this is by far the best Illumination movie. Like, if you think Whoa. this is hollow, watch Sing. And I'm like, okay. Oh, I've so, seen Sing a lot of times. That is, I'm this might be fighting words, but okay. I mean, I I don't know. I've never seen Sing. I like Sing uh, just fine. Se- I saw the first Despicable Me and Never Again uh, with the Minions franchise, uh, which is fine. There's not they're not for me. Uh, their animation is always like super clean um, looking uh, and always works uh, a little wonky with physics for me. And that matches up perfect for Super Mario Brothers. So the animation part of me was like, these all look like, you know, uh, Nintendo Switch cutscenes. And I'm perfectly fine with that. Uh, The soundtrack, I think, incorporates over uh, 100 different Koji Kama tunes into its actual score, uh, which is pretty great uh, because it's all like super recognizable. But I don't disagree with the Rotten Tomato score of 57%. If this movie had 10 more minutes on it and crossed the 90 minute barrier, I'd be like, they overstayed its welcome. But as it is, it's just like snappy, simple adventure. And just because I'm not like super stimulated by the plot doesn't mean I wasn't like smiling and laughing to myself. There was me and there's one other guy who's about my same age, which is late thirties, just laughing to ourselves in this theater that was otherwise completely silent. Uh, of people older and younger than us. So I don't really know how to accurately judge this movie, except that I think kids are really going to like it. It really makes you want to go play Mario, which means that it's going to be successful enough for Nintendo that I think between this and Detective Pikachu, uh, we're going to be looking at a run of uh, Nintendo movies, finally. I say finally because I've been wanting them since the original Super Mario Brothers what movie. What other did badly. Nintendo movies would you want? Yeah, what are we looking for? Do you think we'll get Nicole. the uh, Zelda think... movie now? I would love to get a Zelda movie because it could be this simple. My problem with thinking about a Zelda movie is I was always thinking you make it for the people who play like Breath of the Wild or Tears of the Kingdom right. or uh, adult skewing, but they I don't think you do. I think you do the. Yeah, I think you do a base tale is not you don't do a Lord of the Rings. You don't get into Demise's Curse and Ganon. You just do like you could do Navi wakes up Link and Kakiro Village, Kakriko Village and do like a buddy movie. Uh, but I also think uh, because this Mario is so unafraid to just be the video game, there's a point where the Princess Peach describes power ups to Mario and she's like, if you get hit, you lose your power. But don't worry, you can eat a mushroom again to get it back. And I'm like, oh my god. There could just be a Kirby movie where he just eats people. And I could watch that for 90 <laughs> minutes. So I do think there's a, there's the, a place in this world uh, that is just recognizable nostalgia with no stakes. Therefore, you can't... You, you're you're going to be unable to limbo below this bar. The Mario movie is going to clear the bar of what you expect of a Mario movie. Because it's not trying to do anything else. There's like one surprising-ish plot moment, and it's not surprising anymore because they're marketing off of it, but that Bowser doesn't want to take over anything. He just has a huge crush on Princess Peach. He wants to marry her. That's like the, the villain plot. And I remember like when the trailers came out, I'm like, oh, he's raiding around to get superstars or he's doing like an odyssey or something. It's like, no, he wants to have a wedding with Peach. And that's like super fitting and also felt like a twist because that's the most complex the Super Mario Brothers story gets. So, like, hollow, fun candy movie, 
but isn't that what Super Mario Brothers is? Yeah. I don't I feel like if not like there's some the great subtext video, that's been lost in the uh, in this adaptation. Right. I, I think the hurdle between like good video game movie and great video game movie is a great video game movie has something going on to replace the loss of the actual interaction you get to have with the world. Mario Brothers doesn't have that. It's like, do you remember when you interacted with this and it did that? Do you remember like the chef toads and like all these different things? Do you remember the Mario Karts? Uh, all that sort of thing versus something like Detective Pikachu, which was like actually had a mystery and actually had characters with character development. That I think elevates it a little bit more than Super Mario uh, Mario is capable of doing because they can't be anyone without excluding somebody. Like they already feel super niche italian for the like little bit that they're in brooklyn uh before they go into weird mushroom kingdom so i don't know this is why we have the grade uh b not quite a b plus not quite a b <laughs> it minus like it was made just a solid b kids which has ticked people off i would yeah it doesn't oh, seem yeah. to have or you know i i read an editorial at indiewire don't tell david uh, oh boy! Not here right now, but uh, one of one of their writers was really railing against this movie for being. I don't think he'd seen it, but he just thought it was stupid. Like the idea. No, I think of he it, had seen it. Or no, you're right. He in the editorial, he's talking about sitting there being like, "What the fuck is is this dumb shit?" Like, can't imagine showing it to a my kid, and it's like, why why not? Like, what what do we want the kids' movies to be? I I, I I'm afraid this is a minefield, but I'm like. I don't think it's bad to show your kids. It's not bad to give your kids candy sometimes. It's not bad to give your while kids watching the Mario movie sometimes. Cinema sometimes. I think it's about balance, right? Like this is a, a a way to fill some time, but it doesn't sound like a bad way necessarily. It just sounds like a yeah, fluffy I mean, way. It's it's four quadrant because you're going to remember playing Mario games when you were a child. It is directed at people to maybe it be their second Mario product ever, or, you know, they have a passing awareness of Mario, but this is like their way in. This is going to be the way in for some kids, and we're never going to be able to tell those kids apart from everybody else because this movie includes so many different parts of like Mario games. So if anything, they've like connected people who would understand what a warp whistle is across like 20 years. Uh, which is fine. But yeah, I think this is a fine thing to show to kids. And, in, and, and there's nothing about years, it that's going to be like... They'll reboot it as a 10-year-long series and be more faithful to the source material. Uh, I mean, I don't think you need to keep a story going. If you've learned anything from making Super Mario games, the next one is just, like, Luigi has to spend a night in a haunted mansion. We need Gooigi! We need a Gooigi movie. <laughs> Stop. Well, I mean, the first thing Java asked me when I came home was, is Wario in it? And I'm like, no. So, like, there are, way, there are places to go if you want to make more 80-minute Super Mario Brothers movies. Uh, but, and they will. Uh, which will probably happen. This movie is yeah, going to make billions of dollars. Broke all the records. It is the, the highest grossing movie this year so far. Sorry, Ant-Man. And uh, away we go. Katie, you going to see it? Oh, yeah. I'm planning to go this weekend. I mean, Your I'm just... kids know like, who Mario <clears throat> is. We, uh, a little bit, we've played, like, we have a Raspberry Pi, we've played some of the old games, and then we have our uh, our Wii from 2009, which um, is, like, Mario Party, like, that kind of stuff. Um, sure. I think it's just mostly, mm -hmm. like, the Wii, like, emojis. So, yeah, I mean, the idea of Mario lore would be completely foreign to them, but, like, I don't really think you need to know a whole lot beyond that you eat mushrooms and hit blocks with your head, right? I think that's right. Oh, Yeah. So the, is there, yep. I mean, I don't think they'll decry the wokeification of the Rainbow Road. Um, I think they'll just what? roll with it. <laughs> you didn't see that Tell somebody when, like, as I swear at some point when the trailer came out, it's like, they, they turned the road, like, look at the rainbows in Mario. And it's like, okay, well, oh, this movie's not for you. Log uh, yeah. I'll, um, Wait till you hear the soundtrack. I hope I will report back next week. And I, that me saying wait to hear the soundtrack makes it sound like the soundtrack's gay, but what I meant <laughs> is the Rainbow Row theme is in the soundtrack. Ah, I see. Right. I mean, I would yeah, hope all the on. I'd hope all the themes are in the soundtrack, right? There's so much to draw yeah. from. There's a, there's a lot. Is there a dun 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 dun? Let's talk. Dun 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 dun. Let's talk about Michael Jordan. Saw a silhouette cross a fluorescent. 
Put it in the hoop like Yay. slam. Slam! That's how I beat this Shaq. Is a, uh, this is a... Uh, <laughs> how, do you want to introduce it by singing? Is this how I beat Shaq? Shaq? <laughs> he's, really a, he's mentioned in, in Air, isn't he? Is he? How Shaq? would he be mentioned yeah, in Air? He wasn't no, maybe not. born. <laughs> no, you're right. I'm yeah. thinking of Shaq another... Shaq wasn't born? No, he was, he was, he was alive. Definitely he was definitely born. Was, Shaq was, how old do you think Shaq was when he's old I was... Got actually, was I born? Air I was in the process of being born. In utero. Uh, so for segment three, we are joined uh, by David Ehrlich, who has a very important inside insight on the movie we're going to discuss, Air. Uh, David, is it true that you were in utero at the time that the events of Air took place? I mean, this fact is only in the subtext of the film, uh, and I believe that Ben Affleck has... And <laughs> I, no, there's a whole title card at the end <laughs> where there's a freeze I mean, frame of and your David mom. Ehrlich and David Ehrlich grew up to be David Ehrlich. Literally everything else that has ever happened in our world at the end of this movie, so I wouldn't be surprised. But uh, yeah, apparently Ben Affleck and Matt Damon had talked extensively about how I was uh, gestating when this movie was being filmed. Uh, not when it was being filmed, rather, because that would be uh, a fresh spring uh, one-year-old right now. But when it was taking place. Uh, yeah, so I do feel like I, I this is really a story about me. Um, I think, uh, well, hang on. I think it's more about I, is, is I think this is more about me, honestly, because I looked this up. The NBA draft. So at the beginning of the movie, they're looking at people in, in the order that they came in the draft because I was trying to see. If I was in utero, if I had been born, and the NBA draft that year took place on June 19th, 1984, well, that's the day that I was born. Mm. My life and Michael Jordan's basketball career essentially began on the same day. Do you I think didn't that know if you ever ran into Michael Jordan in person, he would like give you a head nod because he knows? Yeah. Like, well, it is me and Paul Dano both born on that day. So I think Paul Dano, Michael Jordan, and I are um, united oh, forever. Nice. I think so. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to remember that whiteboard. That's why you Charles all Barclays get, uh, in there. Hap- Y'all get half a percent on all Air Jordans. Yeah, we is, all make four hundred like, million dollars a year from Air Jordan. This movie is about basketball. Is that right? <laughs> no, is. this movie Air is a uh, based off a, a blacklist script by Alex Convery. It tells the story of Michael Jordan's deal with Nike to make Air Jordans. It's directed by Ben Affleck. It has Matt Damon and uh, lots of other people in it. Uh, you're Jason Bateman, you're Marlon Wayans, you're Chris Tucker, you're Viola Davis, and uh, more men. Uh, and that is uh, the the basic setup of the film. It is, I thought, you know, this is this is the type of movie that we're always talking about, like, where's, like, the drama for adults? Because this definitely doesn't have much of a hook, unless you're, like, like really this? into shoes. No. Well, I mean, I, it I has mean, a hook in that it's Michael Jordan. Is that ben Affleck wears those glasses... And he's uh, <laughs> like doesn't wear shoes, and uh, it's the story of the it's the origin story of Leica, if you really extrapolate uh, where this is all going. And it's Ben Affleck reuniting <laughs> with Matt Damon, and then you add the whole Michael Jordan mythos on top of it. How could any American not want to see this movie? I don't understand. I mean, as someone I mean, who I, like my my family will ask me what they should go see often, as I think happens to all of us, and I saw them over Easter weekend, and I was like, go see Air. Everyone go see Air. It's not hard to sell normal people on this movie which i think very much is a hook normal. oh good yeah most of the time when i tell people they just know it's a ben affleck movie with matt damon in it and uh matt some damon. people don't even know the actual subject yeah i can't that, do, that I, I can't not do it i don't i what's wrong with me why am i a quoting lot, team lot, america in the year 2023 I, I, think, okay. I think a lot is the only Help responsible me. answer to that uh yeah i mean I, I i feel like matt damon and ben affleck have been so inseparable culturally since Goodwill Hunting that there is no additional power to seeing them on screen and I'm using big finger quotes here for like for the first time together in, I mean, not even for the first time I mean they were in the fucking last duel they were barely shared any screen time <laughs> and they were in Jay and Silent Bob I mean they yeah, were together all the time I mean like it's they made a whole thing about like this is their big reunion and I was like I don't know they about used that. to have the same bank account yeah, well I've I've heard all the stories uh, but I don't um, think Ben uh, Affleck yeah, as a, a director is what's putting butts in seats here <laughs> it's like that yeah less definitely draw than okay else. <laughs> we could take we could take that is that I could get a handhold on that it is a uh, there are a couple of scenes in the film that are like oddly directed like their documentary uh, footage. Uh, very specifically, uh, there's a meeting with Marlon Wayne's character, uh, which I believe is pronounced George Raveling, 
and uh, it keeps bouncing back and forth from two shots that have like the uh, opposing character sort of blurry in the, the foreground and then the main character dancing it out of focus in the background, which is fine if it existed for the rest of the movie. So I, I, the weird thing about this film is the thing that ultimately had me hooked into it uh, once I sort of got the idea that the plot was like a uh, um, a Moneyball-like plot that wasn't actually going to concern me with the sport of basketball as much mm. as I think Moneyball actually considers the sport of uh, baseball. This movie is it's, extremely, it's a story about marketing. It's extremely people. diet Moneyball. It's like Moneyball 1. It's uh, some of the same <laughs> yeah. taste, one of the calories. It's it's like that plus uh, light. As the title is like, very indicative. If, it's light, light as air, just like the shoe. Yeah. What? What? If, was the shoe what light? If my informant know. character was a, was a, was a real person and didn't have any comedic asides and <laughs> was just sort of like schlubby and around. That's that's how Sunny uh, in this movie comes out. Mostly because okay, here's air perfectly fine and pleasant. Katie, I agree. If you're gonna send family members that are over the age of seven to a movie uh, last weekend, it should not have been Mario. It should have been Air. But I did not take my children I, to see Air. For those of you keeping track at home, I the only thing I could hook into in this movie were the times that uh, Sunny was placed across from somebody that was uh, giving a great performance, uh, and I, there's a lot in all the side characters. Uh, that pop up in air. Uh, there's, you know, a, a sad Jason Bateman monologue that Jason Bateman's good. There's some Chris Messina being an uh, agent and yelling a lot, and that ends up being good. Chris Tucker makes his character that I just understand to sort of be Chris Tucker as a, you know, a shoe agent uh, <laughs> actually work. And then Viola Davis, I think, is really good in it, despite her limited screen time as uh, Michael I mean, Jordan's you're leaving off Matthew. Dolores. You're leaving off Matthew Mayer, Marr, however you pronounce his last yeah. name. I feel like I've waded into Matt Patches' usual role. But uh, he is, you know, I iconic. <laughs> and and uh, I have months of, of backed up Matt Patches' disses that I need to dig up. But, <laughs> but the, maybe the most iconic part of Matthew Marr's performance in this movie is that Ben Affleck recruited him for one of the Dunkin' Donuts ads that he's in, <laughs> where Matthew Mayer wow. plays, <laughs> plays the shoe designer in this movie, Who does he plays play? oh. one of the guys behind the counter at the Dunkin' Donuts where Ben Affleck goes. Wow. Amazing. Uh, yeah. What the hell is this movie? Like, what are all these people talking about? Are they really just talking about Shoes! getting the shoe? That's it. Well, no, okay, okay, so, okay. So, okay. first yeah, time I found this triggering. Triggering. Uh, Second. So, basically, well, well, yeah, I mean, you didn't eat uh, an Air Jordan. I think that's going to be next true. year's challenge. Um, basically, the guys in Nike, so Nike is really good with runners, and nobody takes it any seriously for basketball. Adidas and Converse have the whole basketball market, and every year, the Nike basketball guys get, like, $250,000 or something to sign a couple of people to Nike endorsement deals to like raise their profile basketball. And Matt Damon's like, no, we're going to take all that money. We're going to put it toward Michael Jordan. And it's him wooing Viola Davis, who plays Michael Jordan's mom. As you might have heard, um, Michael Jordan like is only played. You see this actor from the back of his head like he's not really a character in it. And so it's Viola Davis and then her real life husband, Julius Tenen, who's delightful uh, in this tiny role as the dad um, who he has to convince. And he has to convince everyone inside the office. So he goes up to Ben Affleck's office as Phil Knight and he goes and talks to Jason Bateman. And so it's, it's, it's like, a, like from Lincoln where... Uh... It's kind of whipping the votes, the votes not, like in Lincoln. Like it's, it's, it's a much lower Jesus. <laughs> uh, this, 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 I, I can see the case for that. Um, but the, and so like it gets emotional only in like really selective moments. Like Dave mentioned that Jason Bateman speech, and then Matt Damon kind of has like the big speech where he's trying to convince them. But I think in those little dollars of emotion, it really got me. Like I'm curious, Dave, if Matt Damon's big speech did anything for you because like i think that's where i and several other people were like oh my god i care so much about this shoe i mean yeah there are a couple of times this movie comes up for air and acknowledges that even air. though it's about mm. shoes it has yeah it has uh, different things it has bigger things on its mind and really i think the thing that doesn't work about the movie is it's very constantly reminding you that these are just a bunch of guys about shoes and <laughs> that like, even Matt David's character, who has this great endorsement idea that, you know, we're all patting him on the back for when he pulls it off. It's like ultimately a movie about a 
change of, in the way of marketing things. Uh, and well, the times of this a, movie, a... well, the times of this movie does well, it is able to expand above that. But ultimately, that's what they're like drilling down to. All the, but it's, the it's monologues also... that I'm mentioning. It's also about the equities, though. I think Viola Davis's biggest monologue is where she says, I want my son to have a cut of the sales. And the companies produced by Matt Damon and Ben Affleck's company, Artist Equity, where they're giving a cut of the movie to all of the like the cinematographers, production designers. Like it's the same model that they use to make their movie is sort of what they're promoting at the end of this movie, where it's saying, hey, give these athletes a cut of what they're participating in. Um, I think there is a broader uh, idea behind that. Yeah, I, don't... I mean, I like that, but I don't think that's necessarily in the movie until, you know, they need it. Sorry, I ahead, mean, I sure. don't necessarily. I mean, I think it's, this movie is extremely lightweight, as I said earlier. It is, it is pure fluff off the top, but it is uh, a movie. It's a corporate fairy tale that is uh, also an ode to middle management. And so I think to that extent, it's baked into the plot of the movie from the beginning, because even though Phil Knight is played brilliantly by Ben Affleck, who's become maybe the single uh, most wonderful person to see on a movie screen in a supporting role. I mean, like every time he plays a supporting role, it just instantly makes every movie a zillion times better whenever he's on screen. His full night is hilarious. Uh, he makes every scene better. And when he finally dons those wonderful glasses at the end, it is worth the price of admission unto itself. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think that is the story. I mean, I think that it's a very deliberate match between what they're doing with artist equity and the subject of the film. Um, and uh, it it works. I don't know. I mean, today it's... we call them computers. Sure do. I mean that. I mean that. There is a little bit of that. There is a title card at the end that says Michael Jordan became the greatest <laughs> basketball player of all time. <laughs> it's like, Thanks. Did he? Oh, could right. could never have figured that out. I have seen the told me that. screenwriter on the press tour saying that he was greatly inspired by The Last Dance, or that maybe he even mm-hmm. was stuck indoors during COVID watching Last Dance and being like, this is the one part they didn't really expand enough on. I will I mean, write an entire movie about it. And that's uh, that's a smart <laughs> way of going about business, I suppose. Watch yeah, more Yeah, I mean, but it also, it also rides that same, like, the thesis of The Last Dance about Michael Jordan's obsessive competitiveness, you know, sort of, like, champion spirit is is very crucial to uh, Matt Damon and Sonny Vaccaro's whole pitch. But uh, I, th- yeah. I just think, like, my, my biggest issue with this movie is that if you're going to spend seven, like an absurd amount of money on a movie that does not warrant it, I mean, it feels like sixty million dollars. Yeah, it costs budget like one hundred and twenty. It costs like a hundred yeah, and twenty million dollars, which is Matt, nuts. Ben Affleck is just like spraying iconic '80s needle drops over the fucking movie like a fire hose, like out of a fire hose. I mean, there's like no rhyme or reason. They're just falling left and right. Yeah, there, uh, I don't know if there's a score. I think it's just needle. Yeah, drops. I mean, I did appreciate the Tangerine Dream uh, drops, but some of the other stuff was a bit much. But um. But yeah, if you're going to spend an absurd amount of money on this movie, uh, I want the I want the like the solid triple or even aspiring to mix my metaphors to go with baseball here instead of basketball, basketball. Like I want the the half court shot version of this movie. I don't want the layup. Mm. You know, I want this to be two and a half hours long. I want it to really, really get into the integrity of who these people are, what they care about, what they're fighting for. This feels like the fucking cliff notes of the cliff notes of this story. And uh, even something like Moneyball is so much more substantial. Something like Jerry Maguire, which is fictional, is so much more substantial. Um, And while, you know, this movie is directly engaging with some of the themes that we address, some of the topics that we addressed earlier in this segment, uh, it's doing so in such a cursory way that, you know, it's fun. It's totally light. It goes by. It'd be beautifully washed on an airplane, which is uh, kind of ironic because this is part of Amazon, the first part of Amazon's like big pushback into movie theaters, um, which is where I saw it. And, you know, opening day, got to represent for Matt and Ben. But like, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, I, if I'm going to show up, if I'm going to rent a babysitter for my like eight day old baby or whatever the fuck old she was like two months. I think you just hire a babysitter. Old. I don't think you rent them. You have Did I say to rent? Uh, I'm just, just saying because I went like, on because yeah, you went on the, the app Bambino and you do like it does feel mm-hmm, like you're anyway. Mm-hmm. Um but uh uh we did not have uh, our usual babysitter not available so when I'm Bambino I hired uh someone cost like Seventy dollars, <laughs> and I went to the movie. It costs so much. It costs like the budget of air relative to a normal day in my life um, to see <laughs> air. And I was like, I want, I want the full body, like you know, fully, fully thought out version of this movie, not just the for the the one for the cheap seats. And uh, so I, I resent that slightly, but I enjoyed myself watching it. 
You resent it slightly, you, but still enjoy it. What I, a combo. I have maybe a, a wrap-up question for, for all of you guys. Um, what Was the last Ben Affleck-directed movie uh, Live by Night? Yes. that right? Yeah. My God. That was a, bit, a few years ago now. Um, and I feel like... I've been of, through a lot since then. Yeah, he has. There uh, was also a pandemic. Justice oh, League. Yes. Uh, pandemic. He was in director of, jail for a minute. <laughs> Well, uh, because of Live by Night, you think? Yeah, okay, that makes sense. I mean, I don't think it's not, um, not, not the same jail that anyone else would get with that kind of bomb. But, sure. you know, a cushy, a cushy, like, uh, what do they call it? Like, uh, a hill. What's the expression for like a nice, fancy jail? For uh, white- cup, uh, camp, camp, cup, camp, cupcake. Camp, what was the one? That, something uh, Hilton. I feel it's a, it's a Hilton is oh. in the expression here. Anyway, oh. he was in the. Whatever anyway, the one they sent Martha he's in Stewart very cushy to. Also, version of director's jail. He wrote last duel with damon and nicole all of a sudden so the, they, sure. they've done stuff but i guess i'm quite wondering is affleck like growing as a director with this movie is affleck because when he was making no. gone baby gone and the town this is like no. new guy we he have a new guy to, he he's gonna make the to movies, exhibit but... a, a very fine-tuned sense of how to direct actors but that was evident right yeah. off the bat with gone baby gone and so growth I don't really think enters into the equation in a uh, quantifiable way. Uh, and every yeah. other part of his direction, certainly his ambition, although I can understand wanting to rein it back, even though he did spend almost a hundred fucking million dollars in this movie, um, it seems to be going the opposite <laughs> direction. I think he needed a solid single after everything yeah. that's happened in his life. Yeah. And he set yeah. out to get that. And he did. And I'm happy for him. And I could not possibly love seeing him on screen more than I do in a movie like this. So extremely positive on Ben Affleck. I do think I would like to see him get back in the position where in a slightly smaller budgeted movie, he can flex his directorial muscles, whatever they might be a little bit more. I would hope this qualifies yeah, as just enough of this, a success but... to get in there. Sorry, go ahead, Dave. Yeah, he's, I think he should just do more stuff like this, but maybe don't pay as much for the screenplay <laughs> or needle, needle drops. One right, of those two yeah, things. Yeah, whatever, whatever costs them all the money. Am I the only one who didn't know that Blister in the Sun was an 80s song? Like, that that song exists with my so-called life so much in my brain that uh, when they started playing it in the movie, I was like, that's not right. And then it turns out it came out in the 80s. I had no idea. Yeah. Is that what you learned from Air? That's what I learned from Air. It's the only piece of information that I retained. Uh, uh, Air, yeah. go see it in the theaters. Yeah. Let this movie be no, it. I mean, I think it's it's good for the business. It's it's in more ways than one. I mean, typically we say when it's like it's a good thing to go support a movie. I mean, here you're actually... Uh, again, in a way that dovetails with the subject of the movie, supporting the people who made it. And if this business model catches on, if artist equity is able to make more movies and other people caught into what they're doing, then it really could make a dramatically positive impact on the business. So if you need extra yeah. incentive to go see Air, which again, would be a perfectly fine cable movie. Um, it will be on yeah. Amazon soon. Yeah. But not that soon. The window is longer than it used to be, right? But yeah, no, Amazon Long Amazon window. is definitely stretching out the windows. It's theatrical exclusively for at least a month, um, which, oh, wow. you know, com- compared to recent Amazon releases is something. Um, but I think it's going to be end up, end up being, going to be longer than that. But uh, yeah, air. 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 Patch, is going to go see it? No. That does it for this week's show. We'll be back next week. I will hopefully be able to report back on seeing Mario. And we're also talking about beef and Chicago uh, is the plan for now. It's not anyway. actually called Chicago though. This is confusing because they're calling Schmicago. it Chicago, but it's still called Schmigadoon. I know. It's confusing, but we'll get there. To help people. Uh, in the meantime, tell the people who you are. I am Matt Patch's deputy editor over at Polygon.com. I'll audition for Harry Potter in the reboot. I kind of look like him, don't you think? And then you wouldn't need a, a 12-year-old to suffer. You can always you can get a middle-aged man suffering. Um, I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. I'm on Letterboxd at Mr. Patches. And uh, we have a website, fightinginthewarroom.com. We've been doing this long enough that I'm pretty sure we uh, reviewed Deathly Hallows Part one and two yeah do you think? that sounds right wow in 2012 yeah. yeah i do think so that would have been right in the beginning i think that was during the cineboobs era so it was definitely we definitely we reviewed some fantastic fantastic oh beast God. films with newt scamander wait um anyway fighting in the go back and listen
Uh, he was David Ehrlich. Uh, he's David Ehrlich on Twitter. He's gone now, though. Don't worry about it. Uh, but he was supposed <laughs> to tell you to leave a review on the Apple Podcast app. I'm Dave Gonzalez. You can follow me on Twitter at DA7E. You can email all of us at FITWR.podcast at gmail.com. And you could hear more of me debating ridiculous things this month, Nicolas Cage movies on Trial by Content. It's a podcast. Uh, wherever you're listening to this podcast, you can find it. Uh, and I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at Vanity Fair on the Little Gold Men podcast where we're talking about Emmys. I keep saying we're talking about Emmys. Uh, listen up. Uh, also, the can lineup's coming out by the time you hear this, so we'll talk about that next week. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H, and we're all on Twitter at F-I-T-W-R, where you can uh, tell us your favorite Mario needle drop, or you can answer this week's lightning round question, which was... In honor of Renfield, what's your favorite on-screen portrayal of Dracula? Thanks for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week. We're done!